0: Pastor Frankie is um, marching through 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights and he's going to be back next week and he's going to continue that study with you guys. You know, when we finish the year in about 10 weeks, which is hard to believe that the year is going to be over in 10 weeks, like some of you just went, whoa, it's true, put a guitar on, it'll make you feel better. Well, when we get through the end of this year, we will have studied and walked through most of the New Testament together as a body. And I am so excited about that because there's just no replacement for his word and his truth. And so he'll be back next week to kind of continue that with you guys. But tonight I'm going to be in John chapter 6 with you. If you've got your Bible, John chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to talk to you. And the title of my message is Jesus Offends. Jesus Offends. And I'm going to start. Have you guys ever been at the grocery store or maybe at the Starbucks? And you're minding your own business. You know, you're there for a box of Cheerios. You're there for a caramel macchiato and maybe check Facebook, right? Because you've got 20 minutes before you need to be somewhere. And you're just minding your own business. And you overhear a one-sided conversation because you can't hear who that person's on the phone with. You just hear their part. And it sounds something like this. Oh, girl, I told him, oh, you don't even know who you're messing with. I told him, you don't talk to me that No, we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'll tell you something else. I said, you stop picking on those boys. You know, you mess with those boys, you mess with me. Now you know she's a mom, right? Yeah, and she's talking, and she's talking, and she. I don't care. I told him, we are going all the way this year. I don't care that Tony Romo's out. My boys are going all the way. The cowboys are going all the way. And I told my husband, he could sleep on the couch. Have y'all ever heard a conversation like that with that person? You're just like, it's a train wreck. You can't take your eyes off of it. And you're trying, like, not to pay attention, but it's just fascinating. You're like, wow, give it to him, give it to him. And it's like... <laughs> It's one of those things where you just realize in today's culture it is so easy to be offended, right? Just the the slightest look, the most errant inerrant word, one of those little things, and then people kind of bow up. They kind of, yeah, you want to make you want a piece of me, you want a piece of me. I didn't think I was that kind of person, but let me just kind of tell you guys straight up, I was at the J.C. on Saturday, okay. And let's just be honest. I had to buy fall clothes for my two children for the one day in Texas where we get a little bit of frost on the ground. I don't want to be that mom that doesn't have long sleeve clothes for my kids. So, you know, that one day, that one winter day that we get in Texas, we don't know when it's coming. But every morning we wake up and we're like, is today the day we wear long pants and long sleeves? Maybe. So I realized, you know, my kids only have shorts and T-shirts. And so I packed everybody up. We went to the Woodlands Mall to J.C. Penney, the boutique of choice for my children, and I'm getting, I mean, you guys know what it's like to get kids to the mall. Your goal is to go in with two children, to leave with two children. You know what I mean? And no pets. We do not go to the pet fair. No pets. None of that. So I get my kids there. We're shopping. I finally, and you guys know what it's like to have children try on clothes? oh my goodness, it's like dressing an armadillo. They roll all over the floor, they're scratching, they're biting. I'm so hot, I'm so hot. Why do I have to have clothes? I'll be naked. And I'm like, one of us is going to be, it's getting there. And so you go through all of this as a mom. You guys know what this is like. You're exhausted and the clothes aren't even for you. You're basically spending money to be tortured. That is it for you. And so I'm getting my kids dressed and I finally get all of the clothes that I need and I'm standing in a line because every mom in the Woodlands had the same idea I had. We all woke up and realized our kids don't have long sleeves, right? And they have this new thing where you like wait for the next available register and you line up down this line down the middle of the store. And I'm standing patiently in line and, no, we're not buying that, don't touch that, no hey, if you touch each other one more time, I'm telling you right now, I want somebody's hand in this pocket. I want somebody's hand in this pocket. And you know how it is. You make your way up the line. And this dude cut in line right in front of me. And I didn't think I was the girl that I've seen at the coffee shop. But something came over me. That dude cut in line, and I thought, oh, don't, no, you didn't. You cut in line, I will cut you. You know? You <laughs> know? hold my earrings Todd this dude is in line. and I, I honestly I felt it come over me like that and I had to stop and I was like Lord it's just a line thank you for my parking place Jesus thank you that I have money to buy these oh Jesus help me help me and you start praying because that spirit of offense it's just so quick you know it just comes on you so quick and, you know, you read in the Bible, it says in Luke 17, 1, that Jesus said that offense will come. It is impossible, but offense will come. Offense is going to come. We live in this world. People are going to get on our nerves. Things are going to offend us. And I want to talk tonight about what happens when Jesus offends you. Because we expect other people to offend us. We expect that, you know, somebody's going to cut in line. We expect that somebody's going to give us the wrong change. We expect that somebody's going to think we're old enough to be their mother. Like, we expect all of that. But what happens when Jesus offends us? What's our response to that? And I'm here to tell you that there will be a day, if it hasn't already happened, it will happen, that he will offend you. You know, you look in the scripture, Jesus offended Mary, his mother. You guys remember the scene where Jesus is preaching and Mary and the brothers come and the house is so crowded that they can't get in and they send a message to Jesus. Hey, tell Jesus his mother and his brothers are outside. And Jesus sends a message back that says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers but those that do the will of the Father? I can tell you right now, Mary, if I had been Mary i said, you tell Jesus, I'm counting to three. <laughs> who is my mother? Your mother's standing right here, son. That's who your mother... And she, you know, the scripture doesn't say what her response is, but she never saw her son and she walked all the way back home. You know, her heart hurt. You know, John the Baptist is ministering and then he's thrown into jail and his disciples send a message to Jesus. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we expect another? John's expectations are not being met. He's not sure. You know, is Jesus, is this the message? Jesus, you're the one, right? You're the one, and there's something in his heart. Peter, after the resurrection, Jesus is in heaven. Peter is ministering and preaching. In the New Testament church, and Jesus comes to him in a vision and shows him all of this food to eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to eat any of that. No, that's unclean. I'm not going to eat any of that. I'm even offended that you would even ask me. No, 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 no. And Jesus has to say, no, Peter, what I have made clean is clean. Take and eat. So there comes this point. If Jesus offended Mary, John the Baptist, and Peter, it's a matter of time before he gets to one of us, okay? And how you respond to that offense affects everything. How you respond to that offense affects everything. So we're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 60 tonight. And I'm going to read tonight from the Amplified Bible. And it's going to be on the screen, so if you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put it up on the screens for you. And the verse here says, When many of his disciples, everybody say many. Had heard this, they said, This is difficult and harsh and offensive statement. Who can be expected to listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about it, asked them, Does this cause you to stumble or take offense? What then will you think if you see the Son of Man ascending to the realm was where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh conveys no benefit. It is of no account. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life, providing for eternal life. And then you jump down to verse 66. It says, as a result of this, many of his disciples abandoned him and no longer walked with him. When Jesus offends. So we're going to unpack that a little bit tonight the first thing I've got three points for you. The first one is the crowd. Let's talk a little bit about the crowd. It always surprises me. I always think about when I think about Jesus's disciples, I think he had 12 guys, right? But the Bible actually tells us he had much more, many more than 12. He had many and many is a lot. Many's not some, Many's not a few, many is many. There's another scene in scripture where it says he sent 70 out to be missionaries and Gospels. And he gave them instructions on how to do that. So we know he at least had 70. And in this scene, he has many. And so we're like, well, who is this crowd? Who are these people? What are they made up of? And these are not unbelievers. These are people who are followers of Jesus. These are people who are listening to his teaching, who are seeing these signs and wonders. And they're like, man, I want to I get to know this guy a little bit better. This is the crowd. This is the crowd. So if you look at the whole chapter... Of John chapter 6, we know this crowd. First of all, Jesus starts attracting and drawing people to himself because in verse 2 it says that they saw miraculous signs performed on the sick. So when people start getting healed, when people start getting delivered, Jesus starts attracting these people because people are like, wait a minute, that guy couldn't walk before now. Wait a minute, that guy couldn't see before now. And so people are being attracted to this work that is in in their midst and among them. And then Jesus says, okay, well, this same crowd that's been attracted by these signs, all of a sudden they get hungry. And so it's 5,000 of them, and he feeds the 5,000. Same crowd, same town. And so it's grown to now, it's 5,000, and he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. So now they've seen amazing signs and wonders. Now they've actually been fed physical food and seen another miracle. And then they say, well, surely this is a prophet. So now they have a realization, this guy isn't just some dude. This guy is a prophet. There's a prophet among us. And so then Jesus goes, you know what? What? I'm done here in this town. I'm going to send you guys on to Capernaum. I'm I'm going to come along a little bit later. And the crowd is smart because they realize there's only one boat in town. And they see Jesus send his disciples off in the boat. But the crowd doesn't get worried because they didn't see Jesus get in the boat. So they think, that's fine. Send your people on ahead. What we're interested in is what you are doing, Jesus. So Jesus goes off by himself to pray, and you read in chapter 6 that he walks across the water during the night in the middle of a storm to meet his disciples on the other side. Well, the people in this town wake up, and they're like, wait a second. We saw the disciples go, and now Jesus isn't to be found anywhere. There were no boats. How did the dude leave town? There's great wilderness and mountains on either side of the town. Are you telling me the guy, this man just walked on the water in that storm? And so they realize more boats come into town. They get on these boats. Jesus had groupies. (laughs) You know those people who follow the band town to town? These guys jump on boats and they start rowing to Capernaum. Because they're like, man, this guy is doing signs and wonders. This guy fed us. Now this guy walked on water. How did he get out of town? And they meet him in Capernaum. And what the scriptures we just read. Is where they meet up with him in Capernaum. And he says, Jesus, Jesus, you know, when did you get here? And Jesus says, well, why why are you looking for me? He said, you aren't looking for me because you saw miracles. This is in verse 26. You aren't looking for me because you saw miracles and signs. You're looking for me because you were fed and you had your fill of loaves. And now you're hungry. (laughs) You're filled and satisfied. It's breakfast, isn't it? My dad, love my dad, such colloquial humor. He once told me I was a young woman. I didn't understand it. He said, Sarah, anybody can live on love till breakfast. And that's a true statement. Oh, honey, all we need is each other until breakfast comes. And then we need a little bit of toast and some peanut butter and jelly, you know? And so these guys woke up and they were hungry. And that's why they went to go search out Jesus. And they said, Jesus said, look, you're not looking for me for the signs. You're looking for me because you need a meal. And they said, you're right. So tell us, In verse 29, he says, tell us what do we need to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, do this thing. He says in verse 29, this is the word that God asks of you, that you believe in the one whom he has sent, that you cleave to trust, to rely, have faith in his messenger. And Jesus goes on to teach them, and he says in verse 56, He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood dwells continually in me, and I, in like manner, dwell continually in him. So let me just stop for a minute. you got this crowd that's been chasing Jesus for a whole chapter of the Bible. They've been chasing Jesus while he does these miracles. They've been waiting and they have been fed by Jesus. Then they realize he leaves town and they chase him across a lake. And they finally get to him and they're like, you know what, you're right. You are more than just signs. You are more than just wonders. You are more than just a guy who can miraculously feed people. Tell us, tell us, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to be a part of you? What do we have to do to follow you? Because there's something in you that we just know we've got to have. And Jesus says, you're right. Believe in me. Trust in me. And because they're so hungry and because he's been feeding them, he says, look, the way you prioritize a meal, the way you just rode across the lake... To hope that I would give you breakfast, you need to prioritize me in that same way. You need to hunger for me like you hunger for the bread and the fish I just gave you. Because I got news for you. I've got something that will satisfy you beyond your wildest imaginations. And he says, So if you will eat my flesh and you will drink my blood, you will dwell in me and I will dwell in you continually. He says, That's the proposition I have for you. And their reaction, they were offended they said who can who can believe this teaching this is offensive this is hard I don't want any part of this I will tell you, there are so many believers today, guys. We, we want to take Jesus as our Savior because we want to drink of the cup of salvation. We want to drink the cup of healing. We want to drink of the cup of eternity. And that is a gift for us, and it's there. And I want you to drink long and hard. But there's also a part of us that has to make Jesus our Lord. And in America, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around lords because we don't have a monarchy. We don't have people who tell us what to do. We like debates. We have presidential debates. We got 400 people running for president right now. 400. i tell you what, it is scary. It is scary. But we like debates. We want people to duke it out. We want you to prove to me why I should follow you. Why do you want to earn? You need to earn my vote. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't need to earn anything from you. And we have to make him our Lord. And that means when he says, goes. And we just receive it. And we say, you want me to dwell continually with you? I'm in. But these folks were like, mm. You know, there'll always be this time where you get the conflict, where you get the conflict. Jesus had a megachurch. I love that. Jesus had a megachurch. He had over 5,000 following him. And it says that many turned away and couldn't take the offense. You know, my second point tonight is we know what the crowd was. The second point is that you always come into a conflict. You will always have a conflict when it comes to Jesus. And conflicts come in two shapes. The first is that it's something that we don't want to give up. It's something we don't want to give up. And I'll tell you a great example or a great illustration of this is in Matthew 19. Just make a note and you can read it when you get home. It's the story of the rich young ruler. This man comes to Jesus, very young man, and he walks up to him and he says, What must I do to have eternal life? The same thing the crowd asked. Tell us what we have to do. And Jesus says, Well, you know, um, keep the commandments. And he says, Which commandments? And the young man is listening like with bated breath. He wants this, he wants what Jesus has to offer him. And Jesus lists off the commandments honor your mother and father, you know, obey the Lord, all of these commandments. And the young man says, I have done that. I have kept those from my very youth. Check, check. And I know Jesus at this point is looking into that man's eyes. And he is combing his soul over. And he says, you know what? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And come and follow me and be my disciple. This man, this young man, got the invitation to join one of the twelve. He was the 13th disciple. You know, you and I will come to a place where we say, Lord, I want what you have for me. Lord Jesus, I want eternity. God, I want your peace. I want your love. I want your wholeness, Father God. And Lord Jesus, what do I have to do to obtain this? And the Lord will comb your soul over just like he combed over the rich young ruler. And he'll say, give up this thing. Because it's not money for all of us. Maybe it's a relationship. He's like, give this thing up. This thing is more important to you than I am. Or maybe it's a habit. Give this thing up. You go to this thing for comfort. Come to me for comfort. Maybe it's your marriage. You need to work harder in your marriage. You need to hold on to your husband. You need to honor him. You're like, he doesn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. The Lord says, do it. Do it. Do this one thing. Do this thing that you have put on a pedestal above me. For the rich young ruler, it was the money. And the rich young ruler looks back at Jesus And says nothing. Scripture says he went away sad. Only person in scripture to encounter Jesus and go away sad. His soul was combed over. The Lord says, I know exactly what you need. And the rich young ruler said, I'm out. There are conflict will come to you. And it can be like the rich young ruler where it's that one thing you can't give up. It'll be that one thing where Jesus talks to the crowd and says, Come here with me. Dwell in me. Do this thing. Love me more than you love food. And many in the crowd said, I'm out. That's too intense. I'm out. And that's where their journey ended. So conflict comes and the one thing we won't give up. I want to encourage you tonight that if you're holding on to that one thing, and I know the Holy Spirit's bringing it to your remembrance right now. I know the Holy Spirit's bringing it to your remembrance right now. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord with it. He says, if you lack faith, ask. I have many times said, Lord, you have to give me a measure of faith because I do not have a measure of faith for this thing in my life. And so, Lord, I have to ask you for the faith to believe you for this thing. How crazy is that? But he is faithful, and he will give you the faith you need for that thing. Let me tell you this. What I tell you, Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you, the Lord wants every inch of you. He wants every square inch of you. He wants every square inch of you, every broken spot, every hurt, every part you're afraid to talk about. Because you know what he says? He says, I can make beauty out of ashes. I can make beauty out of ashes. You can have a cup of ashes and hoard your ashes or you can have something beautiful. You can have something beautiful. He says, I will give you joy from mourning. I will give you the oil of gladness. And sometimes you and I, we're sitting there, we're like, no, no, I'll keep my ashes. I'm here to tell you, friend, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for the faith. Ask him for the courage because he's right there and he wants to make the trade with you today. Every square inch of you, every square inch of you. So that conflict comes to us when there's that one thing it's hard for us to give up. And the other part of the conflict is is when we have that thing that just won't go away. (laughs) We're like, man, you know, Pastor Frankie says it this way. He says, do you ever just want a new problem? You ever just tired of the same problem you've been having forever? Like, Lord, I'm tired of being broke. Could I just be like, I don't know, tired instead of just broke? You know, could you give me a new problem to have? Because we just get so worn down by it. And there's sometimes it's not a matter of what we won't give up. It's like, gosh, what won't go away? I've just got this, this thing. I've got this, this burden. And I, there are as many situations in this room as there are people. Right. Everybody here right. has a different thing. Paul had a thing. Actually, in Second Corinthians, it says, in Second Corinthians, uh, I think it's seven. It's actually twelve. Second Corinthians twelve. Paul has this thing and we don't know what this thing is, right? But it says concerning this I pled with the Lord three times that I might that it might leave me. Three times. I would think that if Paul asked for anything, Paul would get it. I mean, when you get up beat up for Jesus, you get certain privileges. You know what I mean? When you raise people from the dead, I think when God asks you for things or when you ask God for things, you've got like a little quid pro quo going on. So if Paul asked for it, I, I would think that he'd get it. But he says three times. I pled with the Lord and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness, my mercy are more than enough always available regardless of the situation my power is being made perfect and complete and shows itself most effectively in your weakness i gotta tell you something when paul's sitting there and i'm like well what was this problem that he has i don't know what your problem is today paul called his problem a messenger from satan like there's hangnails that's a problem There are messengers from Satan, like two totally different scales of problem. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes I can't button my pants. And then sometimes my car won't start. Two totally different situations and elevations of problems. But what Paul says is he says this problem is a messenger from Satan, It's not from God. It's not something that it's like, well, God sent me this and God sent me this. No, it is a problem you have because you have air in your lungs and you live on this earth. It is a problem you have and you contend with. But God says to us today, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My all-surpassing power can be made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. The Amplified Bible says that His grace is like a tent pitched over us where his glory can dwell. Let me tell you something. If I've got a problem in my life and it means that God is going to pitch a tent over everywhere I stand and his glory is going to dwell in it. Now I can live with that. I can live with that. I can live with that. You know, I love the way that the Bible says that your weakness gives me a place where I can show myself strong. All of a sudden, your weaknesses aren't weaknesses anymore. All of a sudden, your weaknesses are places where you know God has to show up. And when has he never shown up? There are times where I walk into a meeting. There are times where I walk into a situation in my family, and I'm like, Lord, you know, if I could move the needle on this thing, I would have moved the needle on this thing six months ago. But there are some things only you can do. And so, Lord, I am weak in this area, and you have got to show up. And I'm here to tell you, church, he does every time. He does every time because that's like, you know what? I've been waiting for you to say that, Sarah. I've been waiting to show someone who I can prove myself strong. In. I've been waiting for a situation where your life can be the gospel somebody reads. Your life may be the only Bible somebody ever sees and reads. And they go, oh my gosh, do you can you believe what Sarah, I don't know what happened to her. I don't, she went from zero to hero. How did that happen? And I'll say, but God, <laughs> but God, how did you guys afford this house? Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. How are your children so loving? I will tell you they are as fallen as the next guy, but we have the Holy Spirit in our house and he is making our hearts come together. Well, how is it that you and Todd love each other? A lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. You know what I mean? And you've got that area of weakness in your life. And this is the thing, the sin that you are most def- Defensive about is the most destructive. That's what our pastor told us. There are things you don't want to talk about because you are defensive about them, and it is the most destructive in your life. And Jesus is like, If you will come and talk to me about this, I will make you strong in this area because you can't be strong on your own. But I tell you, I can show up, I can show up and make a difference. And that's the choice we face with conflict. Some things we don't want to give up. Some things won't go away. But at the end of the day, how we respond to those things are going to change everything. How we respond to those things are going to be the trajectory our life takes. I'll tell you, conflict, when you face a conflict, it'll reveal your character. You know, when my kids agree with me, you know, my kids will come home from school, and Owen loves video games. And so he comes home from school, and he's like, mom, mom, can I play Wii? And I'm like, yes, you can go play Wii. He's like, you're the prettiest mom in the whole world. And he gives me a kiss, and I know he's right. And then, you know, he's like, Mom, 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 can I have a snack? And I'm like, yes, you can have a snack. I have the best mom in the whole world, and Mom, I just love you so much, you know? As moms, we love that, right? Well, then the next day comes and you haven't done your homework yet. Mom, mom, can I play a video game? No. Oh my gosh, you're so mean to me. I don't understand. It's like, I like to live in a prison. I don't have any privileges. I'm like, this is like 24 hours ago. I was pretty. What happened? You know, I'm fixing dinner. I'm fixing dinner. The aroma of whatever is in the house my kids are like, I'm starving, can I have a snack? I'm like, no, you can't have a snack. Dinner's gonna be on the table in 30 minutes. I'm getting so skinny right now. I feel it, I'm losing consciousness. I'm going so hungry. Mom, look, I look like the kids on TV. I'm <laughs> Yesterday, I was the best mom in the whole world. Today, I'm apparently starving you to death. My kids, their character is not revealed where they agree to me- with me. Our character is not revealed where we agree with God. Oh, Lord, thank you for this blessing. Yes, Lord, I receive it. We're grateful. We acknowledge him. We bless him. But your character and what's in your heart is more likely to come to the surface in the conflict where he doesn't make sense, where that's not what you expected, where this season is lasting longer than you thought it should last, where you think, no, I know your timing's perfect, but I got to say, I think you're about a half past late. That is where your character is revealed, where you and God, and there's a bit of a conflict in your paradigms. The crowd was cool with Jesus as long as Jesus did what the crowd thought Jesus should do. The crowd was cool with Jesus as long as he was healing people, as long as he was feeding people. But then when Jesus said, Miss, your priorities are misplaced and you need to follow me like you follow bread. Now the people were like, Hold up. I didn't sign up for that. Jesus comes to us and he offers us a conflict because he's working on the stuff that's in our heart. And he's like, if this stuff's going to come to the surface, if I'm going to be able to skim this out, I'm going to put situations and I'm going to put seasons and I'm going to put things in your life where you have to make a choice. Yeah. Where there has to be a fork in the road. That's right. And what are you going to do with that fork in the road? What are you going to do with that conflict? You know, um, Jesus is talking to the people in verse 63. And this is a verse we quote all the time. And he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh conveys nothing. It's of no benefit. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and and they are life. What Jesus is telling the crowd and what Jesus is telling you is that your flesh is going to be offended. Your flesh is going to be offended. But you're going to feel your spirit start to live. Because I'm going to speak to your spirit. The words I speak to you when I say, give this thing up and trust me. Give this thing up and trust me. Your flesh is kicking and screaming and saying, no, I have to have cupcakes. Cupcakes are my life. And your spirit just feels itself coming alive. Maybe I have a measure of faith to trust you with this, Lord. Jesus says, trust me with your marriage. No, I can't. It's broken. We've gone too far. You cannot heal this. You just need to cut me loose from it. And then all of a sudden, your spirit is coming alive. And he's like, but I'll give you grace for that. I'll give you compassion for that. And you feel that come in you. Man, I got to tell you something. There comes this point where we have to recognize that our flesh's job is to be killed. Our flesh's job is to die. And then all of a sudden we sit here and we're like, you know what, Lord, but I am being made alive in Christ. And the eternal on me is becoming stronger. The internal on me is starting to show fruit and starting to shine forth. And that's what's going to count. That's what's going to count. You know, the last point I have here is uh, the committed. And before I jump to that, I'll tell you the verse in 66, the crowd was met with their conflict. And verse 66 says that many of his disciples drew back and they returned to their old associations. Many. They no longer accompanied him. Conflict is literally a place where you come to a fork in the road. And the crowd said, You know what? We're going to go back to where we came from, we're going to go back to our old associations. Hey, Jesus, breakfast was good. Really appreciate that guy walking and the meal and the loaves, but I'm not going any further. They went back to their old associations and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says in verse 67, he says, the 12, he says, are you offended too? Are you going to leave too? Let's just get it straight right now because you're at the same fork in the road. You're at the same fork in the road. What's your decision going to be? And Peter's response is so crystallizing. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that are eternal life. You have the words that are eternal life. Peter makes the leap. Peter says, yeah, my flesh is going to get offended. You're not going to do things the way I think you ought to do things. You're not going to do things the way on my timetable. But, Lord, where am I going to go? I'm not going back to my old associations. I'm not going back to just catching fish. Lord, I'm going into what you have for me. I'm going forward with you, Jesus, because what you have for me is more than I could ask, seek, think, or imagine. So, Lord, I'm going to go forward with you, not back from where I came. And that's the fork in the road. When a conflict comes, we can go back or we can go into what God has for us. And that's the only question you've got to ask yourself. The enemy will come to you with a thousand options. Well, you could do this, and you could do a little bit of this and this. The enemy will always try to sell you a deal, right? It's sort of like you know, will you? How much car can I afford? What do you want your fame payment to be? How many of you guys have ever ever been to a car lot? You know, and the enemy's like, well, you know, I, Lord, you know, which way? I can't believe I'm at this fork in the road, and the choice is just so. Self- and then we have the committed. When you make that leap, you know what I love about Peter's answer is that it kind of, like I said, it crystallizes things. And church, for me, this is where I've had to, I've come in the last two weeks, I've come to this realization of either all things work together for my good or they don't. And all means all. And that's all all means. All things work together for my good or they don't. God, either you are good and your will for my life is good or it isn't. And I am believing that you are a good God. I am believing that you are a good God, that your word is true and it is for me. God, I'm believing that you wake up right now, every day. He doesn't go to sleep, but he gets up every day in our context. And he makes intercession for us. For the Father. God, why would you pray for someone? Why would you believe for someone that you didn't care about, that you didn't love about? Why would you go before the Father and make intercession for me if you didn't care? seasons come I haven't read the book, but I just saw this excerpt, and he talks about how in the late 1800s, a huge revival broke out in England, and England sent thousands of missionaries out in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they were specifically concentrating on the country of modern-day India, like northern India, and there were a number of very um, savage and harsh tribes there. There were headhunting hunting tribes. A sign of virility and a sign of strength was for the young men to actually murder other men and hang their heads in their homes, in their abodes. And so this Welsh missionary is sent to this tribe to witness to them and to share the gospel. And he can't get anywhere. He tries and he's preaching and he's trying and he's witnessing and he can't make any inroads in this tribe. But when manages to witness to one man and his wife and his children and they become believers in Jesus Christ. And he has this one inroad into this tribe and this man and his wife and his children start witnessing to their fellow villagers and people start getting saved. People start getting saved in this village with this one man. It started with this one guy. And the chieftain hears this report and it's very troubling. He's very upset that people are coming to know Jesus, and he assembles the village together, and he drags this man and his children up, and he says to the man, renounce Jesus Christ, or we're going to execute your children. And the man has one reply to the chieftain. He says, I have decided to follow Jesus, and his children are killed, executed in front of me. want to you want to talk about God doesn't make sense? That's that moment. I know that you are in a place, I don't know what your story is, but there will be those times where it is shocking and it is hard. And you were like, wait a second. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. What is going on here? So the chieftain looks at the man and he says, you know what? Um, Renounce Jesus or you're going to lose your wife. He says, though no, none go with me, will I follow? And his wife is killed. Ugh. Two conflicts, two hard places. God, what else are you going to take from me? God, I thought this place was secure. I thought you and I had an understanding that you could have my whole life but this. You could have my whole life but you can't touch this. God, I thought I told you that I would go this far. Lord, you I don't know what you're doing. So the chieftain comes to him, and he says, you still have time to save your life. And the man says back to him, the world behind me, the cross before me. The man died with those words on his lips. And his confession of faith, his story, is in every hymnal in the United States. The message of the mail.